This is a founding media podcast produced at Austin Community College District. Welcome back to Science of the Mall, y'all. I'm your co-host, Dan Dillard. ABI Director Nancy Lyon is joining the podcast as my co-host. Together, we'll connect with previous ABI interns to talk about their experiences at the incubator and what they've been up to since graduating, so that we can all learn about the cool science they're doing now in their careers throughout the Austin bioscience community. Mauricio transferred to Texas State and graduated in 2021 with a major in clinical laboratory science. Joining Mauricio in the conversation is Dr. Rodney Rohde, Mauricio's former professor and CLS program director, as well as adjunct professor at ACC and infectious disease expert. Dr. Rohde and Mauricio talk about the connection between Texas State and ACC, how to leverage your education into a professional career, and how opportunities like interning at ACC Bioscience Incubator help make those connections and paths possible. They graze the surface of what clinical lab scientists do, which we'll elaborate more on part two in this intriguing conversation. Let's jump right in. How do you two know each other? Well, um, in my college career, I was looking at this program called Clinical Laboratory Science. I was fresh from uh, working in a biotech position at the Austin Bioscience Incubator, and it just sounded like a program that would be like a really good uh, fit for me. There were a lot of things that I found really interesting about it and that I thought would be really lucrative professionally, Um, and I applied, um, and eventually I was able to make my way into the program, uh, and I'm really, really thankful that I did. Um, and yeah, through that, uh, I had a lot of really good professors. And then one of them was our program director, which was also AKA Dr. Rodi. Um, right. so he was our program director, but he was also our professor for clinical parasitology, which ended up being one of my favorite classes for sure. It was just super fun. Um, and yeah, just an all around great teacher. What can I say? Hey, Super thanks, awesome. thanks, Mauricio. I mean, for me, I remember back, I guess it was in uh, 2019, our program um, application deadline is always February 15th. So we're actually coming up on it right now. And I remember, you know, I get we get 35 to 50 applications and it is a selective process. Uh, just to mention, it's it's pretty competitive. We only take 20 students a year because of our clinical placement kind of limitations. So, you know, I have the hard dec- decision along with my faculty that we we look at applications, we interview individuals, and then we have to make those hard calls because those 20 spots are critical uh, to get, get it right. Uh, we need these professionals to graduate and go to work. And uh, Mauricio, you know, I remember in 2019 also hearing from Nancy uh, because Mauricio, unlike many of our students, uh, he had a letter of reference. We don't require it. Nice. And so sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. And, uh, Nancy had uh, sent a letter along and I think I even contacted her because Mauricio was such an unusual applicant. And in my eyes as a chair, uh, he had uh, life experiences in a laboratory with the ACC connection to the bioscience incubator. And so that was very appealing to us as um, a program. And then, of course, when we met him, you know, he he knocked it out of the park with respect to his interview and 
and the rest was history. He came on board and he graduated in 21 with his clinical lab science degree. Wow. And that's funny when we at the incubator with business and stuff, which is totally not me. I'm a bench scientist, but they always like KPIs. How do you know that you hit your milestones and do those things? And I'm guessing that someone who thinks clinical parasitology was the best thing ever is a great KPI for you that you picked the right guy. That's funny. That's funny. So I just, just to kind of give a little bit of background uh, to the audience, I, Dr. Rody, I, w- I want to talk as an infectious disease expert, a little bit about your background. How is that? Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that's like and also how it's changed during COVID? Sure. So just for context, mm-hmm. uh, I actually worked for a decade. So my, my first degrees were in microbiology and virology. And then I left and took my first job at the Department of Health in Austin and worked at, uh, there as an infectious disease microbiologist and a molecular epidemiologist for about a decade, just a fabulous uh, 10 years of my career. I spent a couple of different stints with CDC as a visiting scientist and worked with zoonotic agents, so things like rabies and hantavirus and, and really coronaviruses. That's where uh, things come out of the wild population. So just a wonderful foundation to my start of my career. And then uh, in 02. Oh, and just to throw this in there, in 95, I started teaching at ACC. So I'm an adjunct instructor at ACC, Mm -hmm. started teaching microbiology. It's my 27th year. I've just started this spring again. Wow. Love it, love it, love it. I've been there forever. So you have a little experience. Yeah, it's kind of a segue. (laughs) It kind of opened my eyes to being a professor. I think Mauricio has probably heard me say this before. I never, ever thought I would be a professor. Mm -hmm. I was going to be on the bench. I was going to be out there doing things. But I just found that I fell in love with it, and it became more and more of my life as an adjunct. And then in 02, I did a little bit of a stint here at uh, my alma mater, Texas State. I got called in to do a uh, just one course for microbiology. And while doing that, uh, Bob McLean, who's in the microbiology department, said, hey, they need a full-time professor in the clinical lab science program. Are you interested? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, they're never going to pick me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bench-level microbiologist. I'm doing other things. But Lo and behold, uh, my former chair, Dave Fleur, hired me, and this is my 21st year here. So nice. I started educating future medical laboratory scientists, mm-hmm. and as Mauricio knows, I always taught careers. So I'm a pretty big advocate for not just hospital laboratories. That's primarily who we educate, and that's primarily where they work. Um, but, you know, there are other opportunities like public health and industry and the corporate world and reference labs. And so, and so uh, students like Mauricio, um, you know, kind of make my day. I always tell people, all of our students are kind of my fuel. I'm an administrator now, but I still demand teaching time. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like it gives me street cred and it, and it's really my fuel. If I didn't have that teaching piece I would probably not be an administrator. (laughs) Sounds like there's passion in just helping others get to their level. Yeah. It's the mentoring piece, getting to know students and then future. I mean, I have, I was thinking the other day, I think I've taught over 400 students now through Texas state uh, alumni because we graduate about 20 every year. So just that, that lifetime um, of mentoring and seeing how awesome our alumni are doing just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. I love yeah. that you take the job part seriously because, you know, at UT, I was there for, ran a research lab there for 15 years. And 
nobody ever really talked about what you can do. There's these people putting seven years of their life into a PhD yeah. with no idea what kind of job they can get out of it at the end, except for possibly a tenure track professor. And I feel like a lot of educators are kind of missing the ball on making people think about that early and really putting a focus on how you're going to support yourself with this and what are you going to get out of bed every day and do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the great connections between Texas State and Austin Community College is we're on the same page with that, Nancy. I mean, uh, we're all about um, education. You know, you can be a core Ph.D. and a core graduate student, a core undergraduate and stay in academia and be in research. That's fine. That's one line of work. But we are also about building professionals. Right. And so ACC is absolutely part of that. And it's probably why I love the bridge, uh, because uh, I love to talk to careers. I actually have assignments in my ACC courses where they do career exploration. And and and, and of course, all they hear about half the time in some of my biology courses there is not only this program, but but all the other healthcare professional avenues and kind of the hidden careers that you so accurately talk about. They just don't know about them. You know, most people don't know some of these career paths unless they have a mentor to yeah. share that with them. That leads me to uh, uh, kind of along the same thought, uh, both for, and this is a question for both of you, both of your careers as an educator and a student and as scientists, uh, they have, you know, multiple facets, uh, ACC, Texas state, uh, the CLS program and others. Can uh, both of you kind of give your thought process on the connection between ACC, Texas State, ABI, and the CLS program? That's a sure, big I'll, Sure, I'll, I'll, <laughs> go, I'll go first, and then I'm sure Nancy has, and, and I'm sure Mauricio has some comments Mauricio, on this. So, so for me, again, it's really helpful. It's been really helpful as context, again, that I have been a, an employee of ACC for 27 years now. So I, I feel like I understand the culture there and how critically is important it is to, you know, some students are going to stop and have wonderful careers with that associate's degree, again, because of ACC's excellence in placing students and internships and other types of opportunities. But some want that bachelor's degree, some want more. And so, you know, that gives me an opportunity to not only recruit, uh, but also just to discuss uh, both settings, both types of, of slants towards their career. So I'm a, I'm a person who I'm very passionate about finding the right career path, as Mauricio knows. I mean, you, if you're not ready to be a medical lab scientist, um, it, it's challenging right now in, in a pandemic, but it's also challenging prior to that. I mean, our, our fields are short with staff, high stress, you know, there's some burnout and things like that. So you have to really love your job and you have to find your right place in it. Um, so it just feels like um, I'm in the perfect place. I mean, I just feel like I'm sitting in the perfect place with respect to kind of understanding both sides of that, the bioscience uh, incubator is kind of the latest piece um, that fell into place probably in the last four or five years as I've gotten to know that and, and the types of things they do there. So uh, I, I can't say enough about uh, kind of the synergistic relationship between ACC and Texas State, and I'm very happy to be a part of that. Yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts, Mauricio, on that. That sounds yeah. I I feel like, I don't know, kind of like Dr. Rodi mentioned earlier, I might have been kind of an unusual bridge between the two institutions, but I'm hoping that it's one that is going to be traversed more often, you know, uh, because, yeah, I feel like as an undergrad that's interested in science, there's not really much direction to like an actual like job at the end of it all, you know? 
I feel mm-hmm. like the most comforting thing about the CLS program was the job security that after I graduate, I'm not going to have to stress out about like what I'm going to do and how I'm going to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically guaranteed that if I want to work in a hospital, I can do so because they are very, very desperate for medical laboratory scientists. Um, so if uh, the relationship between ACC which is an institution that I love and completely advocate for. Uh, it saved me, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars in my education and provided me with opportunities that I don't think I would have gotten elsewhere. That's um, the big one. If, yeah. So if that relationship between ACC and Texas State in the biosciences and the clinical sciences can be strengthened, I think that many more students could benefit the same way that I did. Um, I got an early peek into very relevant lab skills that I got to polish early on, like just simple pipetting or just like getting acquainted with instruments that would reappear in my career in very relevant ways. Um, one example, which like I've been throwing out multiple times is uh, at the ACC Bioscience Incubator, we at one point had this instrument called a flow cytometer, which basically just has this little like tube where you can put a liquid sample uh, onto and it will just draw like a little line through it. And the science of it is that it can make it so that it can get very small particles, cell-sized particles to travel through it one at a time and then shine multiple lasers at different emission uh, lengths uh, to get data from it just to see you know information regarding to size, complexity, but if you tag that cell with like antibodies with fluorochromes, you can get a lot more information than that, right? So I got to work with that instrument at ACC Science Bioscience Incubator, and it is the biggest reason I was able to get my current job as a medical lab scientist at the flow cytometry department at those children's medical center. Um, so now I'm able to use that instrument to get a good idea on what type of lymphoma and leukemia might be developing on a patient. Uh, wow. So to be able to have gotten that much of a head start on something that would become so integral to my job that early on, I mean, what, like four years ago, way before I even got into my CLS program, yeah. it's really, really amazing, you know? So it's amazing to me because I didn't know that they used that in that. And I still don't know. Oh, yeah. use it. But in yeah. research, they, they use it very differently. And, you know, we, it gets not, it gets sorely underused at ABI. It's so and it's, crazy. And it's super interesting to me that you know, you're saying that you had this experience at ABI, blah, blah, blah. But I never even thought of clinical lab science. I thought that that was a totally different Field, I've never met any of the people that have come through or at UT or whatever that did that. It was like, to me, those were like totally medical jobs and they were not the same skill set. They weren't the same academic path and they were all very different. And when you told me you wanted to do that, I was like, oh, okay. You know, and to see what, you know, what Dr. Reddy just said and what you just said is like, who's the, who's the one that was out of the loop there, right? Yeah. And, and Nancy, you're, it's not an uncommon thing. It's not an uncommon thing for uh, the general population, even those in science, uh, to not understand who we are. Because just as a small example, our program, it's not housed in the School of Science and Biology and Chemistry. We're in health professions. Most people think of what? Doctors, mm-hmm. nurses, physical therapists. 
radiation therapist, respiratory therapist, which you're learning about during COVID. They don't really think about a medical or clinical laboratory scientist because most people, Nancy, think that a biology major, nothing wrong with a biology major, or a chemistry major, nothing wrong with a chemistry major. They think that they can apply and work in a hospital lab. It is night and day uh, around the curriculum and the clinical learning that our students, so our students in the, in the last six months of our program, as Mauricio knows, they are leaving didactic lectures and labs, and they're going out and rotating in three-week blocks at places like Dell Children's, at places like Sonic Reference Labs, at the Department of Health, at Seton, at uh, St. David's, all over Texas, and they do five different rotations in those areas. So just like other healthcare professionals, it is hands-on deck, right? They are working on the job. They are learning. And what Mauricio mentioned earlier, they're establishing a relationship like no other. I mean, ACC experiences this with other fields like biotech and so forth. They establish a relationship. They are trying to hire them before they get their degree. And we're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> finish your degree. And, uh, you know, we have 100 percent a graduation rate in our program, we have a 100% hiring rate, usually within two months. Most are hired before they even get out of here. We're begging them to be careful, right? Because when they finish, they have to sit for a credential as a medical lab scientist, much like nursing and physicians, just an important point. They have to sit for a credential, a test that is a national exam. It's not us, Texas State. It's uh, ASCP that gives that test to prove their their brain power and their clinical competency that they learned in our program. So they, as Mauricio knows, and I'm very proud of this, this major is the one of the hardest, most rigorous types of degrees you can find out there. And I'll put that up against anything, including some master's degrees. It's really difficult. So people like Mauricio that, and I say this, survive us because <laughs> it is about survival. It He's really a survivor. is. Well, he is a survivor, and now he's now he's saving now he's saving lives, right? And then to go back to that flow cytometry piece, what's so phenomenal about that type of technology? Again, the public doesn't know about this, but this is why people like Mauricio can help us preach this, including during this podcast. Interesting types of things you can do. That I mean, a flow cytometer is used for things like uh, watching the therapeutic relevance of HIV medicines. You know. Are they, are they going up and down in their T helper cells and things like that? So getting into the weeds a little bit, mm-hmm. but that's why medical laboratory scientists are so critical because they are the doctor's doctor. We provide the information to the physician. I do want to get into the weeds a little bit, though, because I want uh, for the, the, the students in our audience that are trying thinking about science careers and opportunities that are out there, and, and you've talked a, a bit, and since we all are familiar with CLS, the, the four of us here, uh, we just kind of jumped right in, but we really haven't provided the overarching description of CLS. So sure. I have a couple of questions, and I, and this is directed at just anybody who wants to answer them. One is, uh, uh, what exactly is CLS? So let's just define that so that the a listener that knows nothing about CLS can like get a better grasp. And then the second question is, uh, uh, what's it like from a student perspective versus teacher's perspective? So, and I know we've already talked about that, but just kind of like make it put a nice little bow for us. Sure. Well, I can start and then I'd love to hear Mauricio's kind of insight into it. So from my standpoint, uh, and and by the way, clinical and medical laboratory science are synonymous. Um, And so just so you know, our program is clinical laboratory scientist, but the bench level credential is called a medical laboratory scientist. Okay. 
Uh, so that's the credential part. But basically, our program is going to produce a graduate uh, that has become competent in really four key areas, clinical microbiology, so infectious disease diagnostics, clinical chemistry. And so if you're kind of wondering what that is, it's not normal chemistry. It's, th- it's built on it, but it's on things like panel tests for cholesterol for, for your liver enzymes. You may have had some of these done, you know, where, or, mm-hmm. or for women for their calcium levels, things like that for osteoporosis. So kind of the chemistry of your body. The other part is hematology, which is the study of red and white blood cells and all the components of blood. So all the things around cancer and inherited disorders like sickle cell anemia and on and on and on. And then the last piece, probably one of the most critical and ones you have to be on your game in a hospital setting is blood banking. And so, you know, when you have a trauma and you have a relative, for for example, that needs blood to be typed and and transfused, it has to be right Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs) There can't be mistakes. So our students learn that. And then on top of that, guys, um, it's they also learn all about the quality control the automation, the things Mauricio is talking about, the semi-automation, the troubleshooting. And what we tell people, they have to be thinking in the trenches of healthcare about that machine or that thing will give me an answer. Is it the right answer? And that's where it backs into their theory. Like this doesn't look right. Like mm-hmm. this is not right because sometimes a physician needs that help. They, they may just get the data right. and it's not fitting. Mm-hmm. with the patient presentation. So really, again, a really difficult degree, uh, both in theory and in practice. And when they graduate, they take that knowledge and then they primarily are working in those healthcare fields. But I'd be Can interested. Can I ask a question here. real quick to that? Sure. Just for clarification. So let's just say it doesn't fit with the data and the physician needs help with that. Like, are there just the clinical path, you know, what did you what is like Mauricio, whatever, do they put notes in there with their interpretation of it or we, notes in uh, there that just say, Hey, by the way, this was done and this happened or like, is, or is it just like, how's that? I'm happy to, to answer that question actually. So for other, to pick one scenario to kind of like illustrate how that dynamic works. If we were to run like a chemistry panel on a patient and we saw that their potassium was critically high we also can see what their previous result was if they had any. And if we see that the change is like really big and kind of doesn't make sense and that the result is so high that it's incompatible with like life, <laughs> which does happen because which of uh, EDTA potassium contamination. Um, we already know, we already have the background, the knowledge of these are, these results are suspicious. We can directly call the nurse on the floor that collected the sample and usually just recommend like, hey, uh, this panel should be canceled and you should just reorder and redraw. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is very common in multiple departments in the clinical lab, at least in hospital settings. But mm-hmm. the premise applies elsewhere, you know, like we as uh, medical laboratory scientists know what can produce results that aren't trustworthy. And whenever right. that happens, we usually have the authority to at least raise the alarm to Mm -hmm. the physicians, nurses, or other health practitioners involved. And usually we're able to like not get those, you know, untrustworthy results out there and make sure that we do get results that can be trusted. 
Cool. Uh, and there's a variety of different things that can go wrong also. So we have to cover a wide variety of errors that can be done before the, it even reaches our hands. And that's probably, you know, if there was kind of a read between the line statements here, Mauricio just, just said it. I mean, our professionals are reading between the lines, mm-hmm. kind of the gray areas between patient care and hard medical data, laboratory medical data to help that physician, to help that healthcare team to understand when it's a mistake. Because something like that, he just mentioned, which is incompatible for life, you know, a physician may act on that and it could be detrimental right. to the point of death. Yeah. And so it's so critical uh, that, that we have these types of professionals out there and it's exciting. So these are the types of things I love talking about because there are high school students and college students everywhere that may not want to be at the bedside. They may not want to be dealing with sick people every day as a nurse or physician, and they kind of give up on their healthcare thoughts. But this, this degree uh, and others like it, uh, and ACC has a med, uh, an MLT program. It's the associates level, by the way, wonderful program. It's kind of the entry level to this profession. And so you know, uh, I can talk about this all day. It's just so <laughs> well. It sounds very it sound, critical. It sounds like from what Mauricio was saying, there's so many there's so many contact points be, for that sample that could be they could cause errors. So it's right. the critical thinking that the students uh, uh, learn to be able to look say, does that <laughs> was there was there a fail is fault somewhere? So that right. that that's that's a really important and uh, for sure. Thanks so much for joining Science in the Mall, y'all, Dr. Rody and Mauricio. It was awesome to hear more details about the ways that Austin Community College, Texas State University, ACC Bioscience Incubator, and the CLS program intersect. And we hope that folks listening feel inspired by Mauricio's path to find other creative and productive ways to navigate these great resources in our bioscience community. Tune in to our next episode for part two where we dive into how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the CLS profession and get into the details of Mauricio's current job and the day in the life of a clinical lab scientist. See y'all next time. This is a Foundy Media podcast produced in partnership with Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, which is the region's only wet lab space for Austin's growing bioscience industry. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and do tell a friend.